God, we thank you for today. We thank you for a chance just to, to be in your house, in your church. God, to be with your family. Um, we ask you, God, that you just bless our time together as we sing carols of praise to you. Lord, as we pray, as we consider all that you're doing in our life, uh, we just ask you to, to bless us with your presence. We love you. Amen. So if you don't know, my name is Gary Pretty. I'm the pastor here. And um, today we're starting a, a series of Usually I, I preach in, in kind of in series of messages, like they're kind of connected. Uh, usually they take anywhere from, from a month, from four weeks to 30 weeks. I mean, I, I don't know. It's like some of them go on and on and on. And some people say that without ever end. Uh, but this one is only going to be three times. It's going to be over this week, actually. Today, Christmas Eve, and then next Sunday. Um, we're going to be looking at the the character, main characters in the Christmas story. <clears throat> I believe that it's hard for us to look at the Christmas story, the story of the birth of Jesus, as anything but a, a t- think, something that happened in history. Like we think of the Christmas story as something that happened. But for Mary and Joseph, it was something that was happening. It was right now. It was like in the moment. It was unfolding. Like they didn't know that Jesus was going to be Jesus, right? They just knew that the old, in the, the, their forefathers had promised them a Messiah, like a deliverer was going to come. They didn't know it was going to be like now, right? They were like just living day to day, just like me and you, just like us. They didn't know what the future held. They didn't know that they were living into the future, the real future for all of us. So when we read the story, and like we're going to read today, we, we read the little passage where it says, and, and Mary was afraid. We don't think much about that. We just say, oh, she was afraid. Huh, I've been afraid before. And we go on to the next thing. We don't like think about, like, why was she afraid? Like, what was, what was that fear all about? So today and when, again on Christmas Eve and next Sunday, we're going to look at what these, these fears are about. They're a lot, about a lot more than just a little tidbit, a little nugget of information. They're actually about a lot more. I believe as we look at these conversations, how people responded to the news of Jesus' birth, how they responded to it, I think that it'll help us as we learn to respond to Jesus today in our life, um, how we might respond to this. I say this because in the coming year, 2020, your church, if you're a part of this church, your church is going to face some changes. We're going to be offered new ministry. And we're going to have to decide, are we going to do that or not? We're going to be offered, we're going to be given the opportunity to say, that ministry needs, we need to close the chapter on that and move on. We're going to be faced with difficult decisions in the coming year. Change is going to happen. Can't avoid it. And, and, And it's not just in the life of the church, it's in your life. Each, everybody who's here, if you can hear my voice today, you're going to have opportunities to do things that have never been done before. Change is going to happen to you. How are you going to respond? It might be. It might be to move to a new town. It might be something as as big as to take a new posture with God. Your approach to God. It might be God and you recognizing God offering you something different than He has before. It might be a new relationship with a neighbor. It might be cutting off a bad relationship. It might be. It might be a new career. It might be a new school. Who knows what God is going to invite us to? <laughs> I, I don't know. That's why it's in the future, right? But what we know, just like reading the Christmas story, we read it and we look back and we're like, wow, did they look at all that happened? Like we see it looking backwards and we're like, yeah, 
That's the same thing in our lives. When we look in the moment, we don't know like it's significant. But when we look back on our life, then we're like, wow, I remember when all that was happening, right? We don't know it when we're going through it. We don't know it until we're out of it that it was, it had major significance for the rest of our lives. And that, I believe, learning how these folks who walk through this story that we see as history, but they experienced it in real time. So Christmas Eve, we're going to look at the story of Joseph. Next Sunday, we're going to look at the, the shepherds, when angels appeared to shepherds. But today, we're looking at, the, at Mary. As the Gospel of Luke records it, the Gospel of Luke, I invite you, if you brought a Bible, to use one. There should be one around you somewhere. Uh, if there is, the Luke is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels in the New Testament, kind of in the, the back side of the Bible. Um, the passages will be up here on the screen, but it's always better to, to have it in front of you to look at it so you just kind of, you, your mind processes it a little better, just the reality of it all. So anyway, chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke, we're starting in verse 26. <clears throat> And we're kind of jumping right in the middle of the story here. So just bear with me for a second. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, there is a ton of information in that. Like, like all these little nuggets, these little details are all in there. So, so just kind of, just, we're going to cover a lot of it, but, but first... Who was Mary? Well, before the, the, before Mary is introduced, there's this thing about Elizabeth. Like, who's Elizabeth? Uh, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But, but here we have God sending an angel to Mary in a little nowhere town. A little town like you might think of Langford. Or you might think of, you, you might think of Pomona. Pomona proper. Like downtown Pomona. Like, right? Like, if you were to talk about down, I live in downtown Pomona. People would be like, really? You got to like downtown? <laughs> like, no, there's no downtown Pomona. It's, it's barely anything, right? I mean, y'all been through it. You blinked and you missed it because there's not much there, right? Same, that's what, that's what Galilee was like. Galilee was just a nowhere place. And you're talking about a, just, a, just a teenage girl in this nowhere place. Like, nothing remarkable there. She was engaged to marry Joseph. Now, We'll talk more about this on Christmas Eve, but, but engagement back then was very different than it is today. Today, when, like, some of, some of you old folks, y'all don't get this, but today when you want to get engaged, you have to get a photographer to set up across the lake, and you have to go out on the pier, and, oh, you know, yeah, you got to do all this stuff nowadays. Like, like back then, it was, it was even more of a production, believe it or not, to be engaged. It was like a, a year, 18-month process to be engaged, where, where you had to live at home and learn what it meant to be a wife. Like, like, it was a big deal. It was a commitment. Like, it was an official commitment. Like, your, your dad had to pay money so you could be engaged. I mean, it was a big deal back then. Engagement wasn't like, it wasn't just a, she said yes. You know, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like the exchange of a ring and let's set a date. No, it was, there was much more to it than that. So, so for centuries, we've known this Mary, right? But, but. Not in our faith tradition. You see, in the Catholic Church, they, they revere Mary, uh, that, that faith tradition. But, but it's not just the Catholic Church. For generations before that, like when the only church was the Catholic Church, like that, the church lifted up Mary. They, they, they thought a lot of Mary. But somewhere along the way, back in, you know, way back when, the Protestant Reformation occurred, and we Protestants 
as we are as Methodists. We said, and all that, everything the Catholic Church does, we're not going to do anymore. And so we, Protestants, we kind of push Mary to the side, maybe a little too much. I don't, one of my problems is, is when I when I fix something, I overfix it. I don't know if you do that too. I like overcorrect. You know, I don't know if you fall into that problem too. But I, that's what we did as a Protestant church, I believe. Is we we kind of ignored Mary. We kind of veered so far away that we we kind of ignored her. When in fact, Mary has a lot to do with who Jesus is. I mean, you think about it. She was the one. Actually, I, I truly believe this. And if you agree, then, then we're right on the same page. That 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 Mary was the one who who showed Jesus what it meant to respond to the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit's prompting. Like, like Mary modeled that for him. She was the first one to show him. Like, this is what it means to follow the Spirit of God. And we see it right here in the story that we're going to look at today. That Mary did that right here. Verse 26, we just read, starting at verse 28, the angel said to her, this angel that showed up in Galilee, in this little nowhere town like Pomona, downtown Pomona, right? Showed up. Angel said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, we read that and we're like, yeah, so there was an angel. And that's probably pretty scary because, you know, angels back then were, were a messenger of God. Everybody knew that they were God's messengers. Like when an angel showed up, you best listen because that is God's messenger, right? God has a me- Sometimes the angels spoke words. Sometimes, though, the angels came to crack skulls, you know. I mean, they were like, they oftentimes were the instrument of his judgment. Like he would, it was bad news when you saw an angel. So we would read that and say, oh, well, of course you'd be worried about an angel showing up. Who would, I mean, no, you will you don't want to see an angel. They're not like these old fat-bellied cherubs that we see, right? That's not what an angel was actually like. They, they spoke in a real, like, DJ voice, you know? They had, like, a real deep voice, I'm sure. They were big, strong characters. They were, they were, you'd be in awe. You'd be in awe of them. And in that, we think, well, maybe that's why she was afraid. Because that's naturally what we would think. But the passage says, nope, it wasn't because he looked awesome. And I mean, like what the word really means, like terrifying. But no, it was his words. His words are what frightened her, troubled her, made her worried, made her anxious. It was the words. It was the way he addressed her. The way he did. He used words that, that for her, because she knew the what we know as the Old Testament, like the old part of the Bible, she knew that was like that was her Bible, right? She knew all that. And so when he used words that, that God had used in the Old Testament, like with old, like old, like amazing people like Moses and Daniel and Gideon, people who are mighty warriors, who are prophets, when God spoke those words, greeting to you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. When God said that, it was like, uh-oh, God's got something for me. That's what he was saying. He's like, God has something for you, Mary. It's not just you're highly favored. It's not just he's not paying comp like, oh, you look nice today. No, it wasn't like that. It was it was like, Mary, God's about to do something in you. God's about to do something. That's what he was telling her. That's what those words meant to her. They were powerful words. They weren't compliments. But who was she? She was a teenage girl. She was a teenage, she wasn't a prophet, she wasn't a soldier. She was no. She was from a nowhere town. She was insignificant. Wouldn't you feel inadequate in that? I mean, 
let me ask you. Let me ask you a different one. Don't you feel inadequate when you feel like God is asking, has an expectation for you? Don't you feel pretty like, yeah, I, I, I couldn't do that. That's her fear. The fear of what God might ask of us, of you. That's her fear too. Is what, what, what is God asking of her? Made her afraid. My fear isn't limited to, to God's calling either, right? Because my fear expands. I don't know about yours, but when I feel like God is, is asking something of me, I start to have a conversation in my head. Anybody else have conversations with themselves in their head? Like, like I, I start to talk to myself, or, or I tell myself things, that, and they're usually not healthy, right? Usually, I, whenever I'm faced with a, a choice, with a difficult thing, something that I really feel like I ought to do, something I really feel like I really ought to do this, biggest thing I hear is I can't or I couldn't it can't be you I couldn't do that like, like I, 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 I'm no I, that, that's not me it's a fear of inadequacy it's a fear of inadequacy I think that it keeps a lot of us from ever moving from ever taking a chance from ever taking a step forward it, because we don't feel like I couldn't do that or it causes other people to, to push themselves because they know they can't do that, so they're going to have to prove to everybody that actually I can do that, and so I'm going to work extra hard. Right? Kind of depends on the circumstance. We we respond in different ways. We have a, a great thing going on on Wednesday nights. These kids and a lot of others, and um, it, it it didn't start on a Wednesday night though. It started back beginning of the summer, last late last spring. A group of people got together to to pray and say, "Hey, we we need." We need to be doing something here in our community, you know. And so we, we met and we prayed and planned and we met and we prayed and we planned. And we met and we prayed and we planned all summer long. And, and it came in October. It was time to start. And I knew it was a big deal, a big risk for our church, for, for you as volunteers. I knew that this was like, this was a big ask, you know. I knew this was major. I can't remember what exactly it was that prompted it, but I remember it was the Monday before the first Wednesday night when we gathered. And I don't know exactly what sparked it, but in my head, this conversation kicked in. And I remember it clears a bell. Don't do this. Don't do this. You need to cancel Wednesday. Like, you know it's, you know it's going to happen. It's not going to work. You're going to have... A bunch of kids show up and no volunteers. Or you're going to have a bunch of volunteers and no kids. And that's just demoralizing. That's just, I mean, for goodness sake, normal people don't come to church. If they wanted to come to church, they'd come on Sunday. But, so why are they going to come on Wednesday? It makes no sense why people are going to do that. This isn't going to work. It's better to cancel it early. Cancel it now to save the volunteers, save the time, save the energy, the emotional distress. Save all of that. Just Let's just cancel it. That's the conversation that was going on in my head. Now, some of you are just now realizing that our pastor's got issues. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Undenied. For a long time, you so I, see, I believed these, these internal conversations. I believed them. I, I was buying what I was selling myself. I, I believed that, that I can't. I couldn't. I, I, I believed all that stuff. Then I started holding them in a little, I understood where they came from. And that helped me put them in a little healthier perspective, you 
see, for me, these voices in my head that I hear, right, that, that tell me don't, I can't. For me, these were a, came out of a, my number one fear is a fear of failure. That's one of my greatest fears is failure. I don't know what your fears are. I don't know why the motivation, why you hear those voices in your head, but I know you hear them. Because we all do. We all have that internal conversation in our head. But for me, I know that I'd, I'd rather not make the attempt than to make it and fail, than to come up short. Maybe it works for you the same way. Maybe not. I'm not sure. Maybe you are afraid to take a step forward because of failure. Maybe it's it's because it, instead your fear makes you an overachiever. You're just running from failure. Looking to defeat failure at every turn. Maybe that's you. Maybe you fall into both of these. But what it comes down to is we believe the what ifs. We believe the what ifs. What could be more than anything else. That's the conversation we're having in our head. For Mary, though, the good news was for Mary that the angel is there to address her fears right away. I mean, right away. I mean, he, he says in verse 30, he says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. He says, Don't be afraid, Mary. God is on your side. God, the creator of the universe, is on your side. He goes on in verse 31, he says, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him over to the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never end. How is Mary going to live out this God is with you life? God says, How are you going to be, how are you going to deliver the deliverer? Gideon tells her. Well, up until now, you see, Mary, just like any, well, I, don't, I don't know every young girl, but I'll say most young girls, they, they can imagine themselves getting married and having a child with their spouse and, and, and that being their family, like building a family together. And up until now, that was what she had known. She had expected that I'm going to get married to my fiance, we're going to have a family, and we're going to live happily ever after, right? Yeah, the only person I know that got to live that dream was my wife. No, joke. <laughs> saying that because she's back there now so <laughs> but but <laughs> but Mary knew the promise of the Messiah she knew that the Messiah was going to be born to in a miraculous way she knew all that but she just never would have in her wildest dreams would have ever thought that she would be part of it never she believed that God could do whatever God wanted to do she just didn't think that God would ever use her and yet it wasn't that she doubted God. It was that she just couldn't believe that she was going to be part of it. Because she had a plan. She had a plan. I'm, I'm engaged now. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have children. Yes, absolutely. So she asked, you know, how's this going to happen? I'm only a virgin. I'm, I've never laid with a man. I've never... I, I know the birds and the bees, their angel. That's not how children come into this world. That's a good question, right? If God is asking you to be a part of something that's never happened before, a good question is, how's that going to work? How's that going to work? See, because what's happened here is her plans and God's purpose have kind of come into conflict. 
And whenever that happens in your life or anybody else's life, when your plans and God's purposes conflict, somebody's got to change. I don't know who that is. You've got to figure that out, who's going to be doing the changing. But somebody has to change. It's very different, you see, from the way Zechariah, I mentioned Zechariah early on today. Zechariah was the first person in the, in the Gospel of Luke in the beginning of chapter 1, that the angel showed up to. See, Zechariah was an old guy. Old guy, old guy. He was a priest. Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, had been praying for a child. They'd been praying for a baby. And none, no, nowhere. All of a sudden, Zechariah is a priest. He goes into the temple one day to work, and the angel shows up and says, Zechariah, actually, I think I have the text here. No. No, I don't. I have it here. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. In verse 13 it says, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Zechariah says, Wow, I'm a priest, and now this angel is telling me that my son, is, I'm, not only am I going to have a child, like I've been dying to have a child, but we're going to have a boy. Back then, having a boy was a big deal for them, especially for a father to have a son. That was a big deal. It's still a big deal, I guess. But, but back then, that was a big deal for a priest to have a son Who's going to be a prophet? I can't think of it. I mean, he's probably like blowing. I mean, like, I couldn't imagine anything better. That's what the angel tells him. Like, all of your wishes for your son, all this, all the dreams and the prayers you've been doing, man, it's all going to come true. And what does Zachariah do? He doesn't, I mean, you would think he'd go, thank you, Lord. Like, God, you're good. But no, he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, can you prove it? <laughs> like, right? Can you? Can you like? Can you prove that? Mary didn't like. She was invited into something impossible, right? A virgin having a child like that. Just for the record, that's never happened since or before. It's only happened once, right? It's never. She was invited into something impossible, and she said, "How are you going to do this?" Zachariah was invited into something that was difficult, right? For two aged people to have a baby, like. It wasn't unheard of. It's still not unheard of. But he said, prove The difference is that Mary was shown how. Zechariah, he was struck mute. The angel said, uh, for your doubting, you're, you don't get to talk anymore. <laughs> he got put in time out, literally. Like, he, you can't talk until the baby's born. He was left mute. The angel, though, Gabriel, blessed her with clarity. He explained it to her. This is how, he said, in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is in the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Gabriel says, God is going to do it, Mary. That's how. You want to know how this is going to work? How? God is going to do it. That's it. Like, it doesn't make sense that a virgin would have a baby? No. It makes no sense at all, but God's going to do it. Now imagine, imagine that if Gabriel had just come to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to have a child and he's going to be the Messiah. Like, imagine if that was the end of his message, right? Like, 
Can you imagine the, the difficulty in raising that child? Like, if she knew that, this is, like, I don't know, like, how do you raise the Messiah? Right? It would have been agonizing for her. But instead, he told her, like, no, like God is going to do all of this. This is already set for you. You're just invited to live into it. You're just invited to live into it. Imagine how free that is. Like, like she could raise this child knowing that, that he had a promise on him from the very beginning that, wow, wow. I believe that's how God works in the lives of people who seek to honor him. That God just moves. See, I don't believe that God is hiding from us the way he wants our lives to work out. I think what we, well, I can't think, say all of us, but I think for most of us, especially me, what I get, where I get hitched up is, is that I want God to, to help me live my life the way I want to live my life. Like I want, I think my life ought to look like this. God, you need to like work on this. You know, God, you need to like straight, you need to like make a path here, Lord, because I believe that this is right for me. Like, like that's what I get caught up in. Like, Lord, I feel like I need to be rich. And so when God doesn't bless me and make me rich, well, I kind of get frustrated with God because you're not making my, you're not, you're not answering my prayer. Where, how much easier it'd be if we just took life as God gave it to us. I remember one time uh, uh, a couple came to me early on in ministry, uh, and they were having trouble in their marriage. And they said, Pastor, will you, will you help us? And I was like, well, I, I know trouble. <laughs> And uh, so, sure, come, we'll meet. And so they came in, and they, they shared with me everything that was going on in their marriage. And, and frankly, it was pretty normal, right? Like, like he, he needs to change. She needs to change. That was pretty much the, the extent of their problems, right? Pretty normal stuff. Like, I don't know. I don't know about y'all, but, but uh, those of you who aren't married, uh, you know, my wife has issues with her spouse, too. <laughs> and, and if she could get him to change. Like, that would be a hallelujah, right? Like, like even even her. And, and guess what? My wife, she needs to change too. <laughs> I did say it a little quiet. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to get caught up on the mic. <laughs> yeah, so, so the, the, that's the fact of it is, is that if you're in relationships with people, they need to change. You want, you want to change them. Like, you want, to, you want them to do things differently that, that are more, that are better for you, right? I mean, that's just... The simple, and so I told them, the simply, I just want to remind you that what you need to do is love God. You individually need to love God and then love each other. That's it. Like if we honor God with our lives and we seek to love the other person, then guess what? The change that we want to see in them, we start to see it in us. We, we start to change and, and we change towards them and before you know it, it changes everything. But it starts in here. Not fixing somebody else and their problems. God will do it if we look to honor Him with our lives. I believe that. Just a few weeks ago, with this, this ministry down here for, with kids, we started just going to, we, we really felt like, okay, we need to, we're going to do this for the little kids, then we're going to have dinner, and then we're going to do something with the older kids. And we really felt like the food piece was important. We needed to have dinner together. We needed to offer, if families want to eat together, then this is a perfect place to do it. And not to 
have it. You don't have to come and pay. Just come and eat. Just spend time together. That was it. We really felt like that was important. But we had, well, we had no idea what we were getting into, right? We just felt like that was something that was important. Have dinner together. Had no idea that we were going to be feeding 100 people a week. Well, we didn't put money aside for it. We didn't have money in the budget for it. We just said we're going to cook. And, and you know what happened, has happened is God has continued to deliver. I mean, Pat's told me every week that, that so-and-so brought all this food or so-and-so gave us all this money. And, and there's never been a need. I mean, well, there's always a need. But every time there's a need, God provides. Every time there's a need, God shows up. I was at a conference uh, last week, two weeks ago now, I guess, and one of the speakers shared this uh, statement that I, that I thought was pretty powerful. And it fits right along with what Gabriel says in verse 37 when Gabriel says, for nothing is impossible with God. See, that's the way Gabriel says it. This speaker that I listened to the other day, he said, if it's God's will, it's God's will. If it's God's will, God will provide. It's God's will. God will take care of it. He can do whatever he wants to do. And if it's his will, then we don't need to worry. God can do anything he wants to do. He isn't limited to human biology or to the American economy. He's not limited. God can do what you can't. What you can't. So what is it that you can't do? Can God? Maybe you can't make that change. God can. Maybe you can't restore that relationship. But God can. Maybe you can't heal that person. But God can. God can do what we can't. I've shared with you before when when uh, I was when my wife Michelle and I were talking about me going into seminary. Uh, we'd gone away on a trip and we'd flown to we'd gone to a wedding down in Memphis. And we were there for the weekend, and we were talking about, are we going to do this? Are we going to do ministry? Is this going to be like full-time, all-in? Are we going to do that or not? And we really wrestled with the whole idea. We, we, didn't, we didn't know. On the, on the flight back to BWI, we, we prayed, and we said, all right, this is it. We're in. We're not looking back. We don't know how it's all going to work out because seminary is really expensive. We don't know how, like all this. We don't know how it's going to work. We got off the plane, go to the luggage carousel, and something that has never happened before and never happened since guy walks up to me out of the blue and hands me his business card and says, you ever think about going to seminary? Like, people don't do, like, first of all, no one stalks anybody at the luggage carousel. You just don't do that. It's rude. It's just rude. But, but secondly, nobody hands out business cards at the luggage carousel. I've never seen that. Much less somebody with a seminary. Like, that's the biggest conversation killer that there is. Like, let's go to seminary. Like, nobody's going to talk to you. But this guy, it was for me. I mean, it really was. In that moment that, that that happened, like God did that. God can do what you can. I'm telling you, and he's already there. All, you, all he's waiting for us to do is to follow him. All he's waiting for us to do is follow him. So maybe this year coming, he's going to ask you to start something. Maybe go back to college. Maybe to start living a healthier life. If he calls you to it, he's going to be there with you. Maybe he might ask you to change something, change a career. Maybe to downsize your home so you can live a more generous life. Maybe. He might ask you to stop something. He might ask you to stop an unhealthy relationship. 
word destructive habit. Self-destructive habit. Believe me, when he asks you to do that, he's there. He's gonna make it, he's gonna make it work if you just follow him. That's what that's what being a follower is all about. It's about not knowing the outcome. Letting God be responsible for the outcome. Letting God be no matter what he's asking you to do, letting God work out the details. All we do is say, I'm gonna follow him. I don't know where this is going, but I'm gonna trust him and follow him. That's our goal. That's our goal, to be obedient. Let God be responsible for outcomes. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be responsible for following. That's what it means to be a disciple. You see, all throughout Scripture, God is on the move. God, back in the Old Testament, they had him in a, in a tent because he was always on the move. In the New Testament, they put him in the Spirit of God. They put him in people because he's on the move always. Not about Our lives are not about how comfortable we are, but how close we are close we are to him because he's moving and we're following him following him that's what a disciple means student follower so look at Mary's response to what Gabriel had asked of her she concludes this whole thing with I'm the Lord's servant in verse 38 may your word to me be fulfilled may your word to me be fulfilled see, Mary understood who she was. And Mary understood whose she was. She understood who and whose she was. Now, right after this, what she did was, it doesn't, we didn't read it in today's passage, but if you keep reading in Luke, what she did was she left immediately and went to visit her cousin who was pregnant, Elizabeth. She went and stayed with her, the other lady who had had a miraculous encounter with an angel. She went and spent time with her. Why? Because she needed to like go through this with somebody who's going through it. I want to believe that's a message for us too. That, that if God's calling you to something or from something, then, then you don't try to walk through it by yourself. Find someone. I believe God will provide somebody. You just need to ask. Ask me. Hey, is there anybody who can help me with this? Right? Ask somebody who's going through exactly or has already gone through it what you're in the middle of or what God is calling you to. Don't try to do it by yourself. Don't try to live this life that he calls you to alone. Faith is not meant to be lived alone. It's meant to be lived in relationship with others. As disciples, we need that support. As you remember who and whose you are. So I ask you to go this Christmas. Go. Wherever God calls you. Whatever he calls you to. Go. Remembering just who it is that's called. Can I pray for you? God, love you. We thank you, Lord, for your, your word of hope, your message. God, that you never give up on us, that you continually call us and seek to use us. God, for those that are here today who maybe you're calling them into faith. I just, in this moment, Lord, they can turn to you and, and you're prompting them to, to believe for the first time. God, they can, they can trust you. They can trust you. You're not going to ask anything of them that they, that they are not able to provide. That, you've, that faith is a gift. And you want to see it lived out. 
that you created us for, to be in a relationship with you, God, and to live near to you. Meet us where we are, Lord. Show us yourself. And hold us close. We love you. Amen. So as a church, we have, uh, over the last several weeks, uh, begun to share in Holy Communion together. Um, We do this every week. I will say this, that you don't need to be a member of this church or any church. That this is God's gift to you, that this is the Lord's table, and literally the Lord's table, and we just want to offer that to you. Um, We use the responses, I believe they're on page 13 in your hymnal. I don't know if they're